Well, hey, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to Church Online. We're in the final week of a series we've called the 800-pound gorilla. All month long, we've talked about these really big ideas or these really big thoughts that everyone knows about. All of us have dealt with them emotionally, spiritually, mentally, but many of us haven't spoken about them. Or if we have been talking about them, it probably hadn't been very civil. And today, I want to talk, talk to you about taking a look in the mirror in light of all of the different things that we've been talking about all month. Week one, Pastor Brandon talked about cancel culture, this idea that if you don't agree with me, I can just delete you. We talked about how really Christians, we invented that idea, how when we have boycotted this or that over the years. And week two, we talked about picking sides. We know that it's 2020. We're in a political season. We're in an election year. For many of us, we have gone to either side of the pendulum, the, the extremes of either side, and we're choosing our side, and God's never really called us to do that. We know this, that politics aren't the gospel, that the gospel's the gospel, and we talked about in week two how the only thing that's really ever going to change the world is the blood of Jesus, is the gospel, and how we should refocus and recenter our lives based on that. And we ask this question, can I view politics, can I view my life through the lens of the gospel and not my politics? And what if my commitment to the gospel separated me from some form of political agenda or a political candidate? And what would that look like if I lived my life according to those values? And then last week, they spoke about COVID Christianity, the idea of the kind of the erosion of our faith in America and how that didn't begin in this pandemic season. Come on, uh, crisis really only reveals where we are with the Lord. And it has revealed in 2020 that many people probably aren't where they might have thought in their faith journey. And we talked about how to kind of get back on the right track in our faith. And today, as we take a look in the mirror, I want to remind you of our theme verse in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this to his disciples, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So we know Jesus saw it ahead of time that we're gonna experience trouble in this life. I said it a few weeks ago that there's times that I've prayed that I've just said, Jesus, I'm okay with your, you don't, you don't have to show me any more illustrations of what trouble would look like. I think I have a good understanding. This year has been enough in itself I recognize that he could have been looking at 2020 when he quoted that verse, and that been only enough, right? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Here's what I've discovered in my faith journey over my life. When trouble shows up, humanity seems to always look for a scapegoat. We always look to point the finger. Inevitably, anyone... No one really likes to take responsibility for anything. It began all the way back in Genesis, the very first time trouble actually showed up on the face of the earth. In Genesis chapter 3, I'll read it, verses 8 through 13. This is when sin entered the world and God begins to address it. Look at what happens. It says in verse 8, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid 
because I was naked. And instantly he was caught. He didn't realize it, but the Lord knew. He said, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Instantly trouble came. He knew he had disobeyed God. And what did he do? The first instinct that he chose not to accept responsibility, he said, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit that I ate. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And what did she do? She didn't take responsibility. She pointed a finger. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Come on, we love to point fingers. Isn't it true that at least for the moment, at least for that split second of pointing the finger, we experience the peace of relief to think that maybe the buck doesn't have to stop with me. Maybe they'll believe it and maybe they can move on. The problem is most of the time when we're pointing the finger, we're trying to offload our own responsibilities. And here's what I know. Only when we can take a hard, long look in the mirror, only when that actually happens for all of us individually, can we begin to actually notice what needs to change for our good and for God's glory. So this is my hope today, that as we take a look in the mirror, we reflect our own lives, our own spirits, our own souls, that we can begin to see and hear from God. What needs to begin with me so that my sphere of influence can change? So let's pray, and then we'll dive into our notes. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for your word today, that it's alive and breathing and real, and it is for me. I pray that you would speak to us, that we wouldn't walk away from this message the same but something would speak to us and you would do something in us that would promote change in our souls so that life change can take place in my life and in my sphere of influence, that you would get all of the glory out of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, a look in the mirror. Here's what I need to know. We are not good. We're not good. Romans 3, 23 says it this way. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Come on, everyone, all. There's no other translation for those words. They're saying it's for you, it's for me. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's nothing good in us. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 7, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I love this because it relates so well to my own personal life. Probably you can relate. He said, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not, the only, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I love this. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. What's he saying? It's a principle of life. It's why in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, the first response wasn't to assume responsibility. The first response was to point 
the finger. It's a principle of life that inherently there's nothing good in you and me. That when I want to do what is right, inevitably I do what is wrong. We are not good. There's nothing good in any of us in our humanity. Now there's a belief in, uh, that, uh, of many in the world that people are just generally good. And I think that use, that was at one time true. Genesis 1.31 says that when God had looked over all of his creation, man included, he said, it is good. But then sin entered the world. And the effects of sin, they run so much deeper than just a physical consequence. Come on, sin roots itself deep into our hearts and into our souls. We're not good. It's kind of like if you've ever experienced mold. Many times when mold exists, it's a while before it's ever discovered because mold grows in dark, damp areas. Sin is kind of like that. It's like a fungus that begins to grow deep in the dark sections of our soul. Come on, it goes unnoticed for a while, but inevitably, it's impossible to ignore. You start getting sinus issues with mold, leads to a deeper sickness. There are stories of people that have actually died from black mold having never known that that was the issue with their health. It hides deep within us. This is what I know. The goal of the enemy is to secretly cultivate and grow sin in our lives in such a way that we never realize that was the culprit. We think we're inevitably or simply good enough. If I'm nice enough or do enough things or I'm kind enough, then that's good enough. His hope is that he can destroy us from the inside out And we never know it was him that did it. Paul figured it out. Apart from Jesus, he said, I know there's nothing good in me. We're not good. A good long look in the mirror for all of us should remind us, I'm not good. Brandon, you're not good. There's nothing good in you apart from Jesus. It's only by the grace of God that any good thing has ever happened in my life. Number two, if you're taking notes You need to know that we are infected. We're not good because we're infected. He goes on to say in Romans chapter 5, we can understand someone dying for a person of worth dying for. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were no use whatsoever to him. What does that mean? One translation says it this way. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he paid the highest price. He sent his son to die for us. We were infected. We are infected with sin. The Bible says it this way in Isaiah 64 and 6, that we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. There's not a good deed on earth that is strong enough to take away the erosion of sin in our lives. We're infected. So much so that on humanity's greatest day, On the day that we get it all right, come on, think about your best day, your greatest day. You achieved your highest goals. You were as kind as you could ever be. You're as generous as you have ever dreamed about being generous. 
on those best days, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Why? Because sin has infected us and there's not enough good that we could do in this world that could, that could wipe away the effects of sin on our souls. We're infected. Sin. We have a sin issue in our nation. We have a sin issue in our homes. We don't have a political problem in America. We have a sin problem. Come on, racism is a sin issue. Murder, it's a sin issue. Sex trafficking, sexual abuse, it's a sin issue. Corruption in our nation, it's a sin issue. It's not anything else. It's that sin has eroded our souls. We're infected and many of us don't even recognize that we are. The reason that many systems and ideas aren't fixing generation-old problems in humanity, in our country, in every nation around the world, is because humanity can't fix something that only the blood of Jesus can. You see, we say it all of the time here at Cultivate, the world cannot give what it doesn't have. And it doesn't have. Culture doesn't have the blood of Jesus on humanity's best day. We can't live up to it. There's an infection of sin in our nation that has largely gone unacknowledged. We refuse to look in the mirror and acknowledge there's nothing good in me because I'm infected with sin. You want to see a prime example of what that looks like? Just go to a funeral. Come on, no one ever acknowledges corruption of anyone's life at a funeral. I've done lots of funerals in my life. I've done quite a bit of them over the years. And for followers of Jesus and those who didn't know him. And there's a complete contrast on both sides. For followers of Jesus, it's really understood that except for the grace of God, there I am. There's this somber peace and understanding that I was on a road destined to spend an eternity apart from God, and Jesus changed my life. You see that all of the time. And then for unbelievers, it's almost as if we try to convince our way Jesus talked about it in the Gospels. He said there's going to come a day when when we all step into eternity and we're facing judgment and there's going to be lots of people that say, but God, I did this in your name and I did this in your name and think about these good deeds and man, I gave my shirt off the back to these people and all of these things that we try to muster up about our lives to make it work. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Like many of these like that in many of these funerals that I've done from people who may not have known Jesus. We see that. We try to preach them into heaven. Surely they're there. They were nice enough and good enough and kind enough, except it's the blood of Jesus that takes away sin. It's not goodness and kindness. Good is not God. Jesus will one day depart. He will one day say, depart from me. I never knew you because of the infection of sin in our lives. We're infected. Number three, if you're taking notes today, you need to know that we have earned death. We've earned it. Romans 6.23 says it this way, that the wages of sin is death. Well, that's an answer to the age-old question. Why would a good God send people to hell? Why would a good God allow someone to spend eternity in darkness away from him? If that's what God is, I don't. Well, the reality is hell was never created for mankind. Matthew 25 and 41 tells us exactly what it was. It was created for the devil and his angels. It was a place never created for us. 
And the Bible says that, that he loved us enough not that he would send people. He's not willingly and joyfully sending people there. He knows that people are destined. They're already going. They're on their way there. And God has tried relentlessly throughout the generations to stop people from going there. It's like disciplining my own kids. I always explain why they're getting punished. We always lay out clearly what the expectations were and what expectations were not met, and they always know the cause of their discipline before discipline happens, whether it's being grounded or spanking or whatever. My kids always know, and they always fully understand the reasoning behind it. But wouldn't you know, I don't think there's ever been a time that I've had to discipline my kids that they thought it was a fair situation. Never have. I've never had to discipline my kids where they thought it was fair. In fact, They've always kind of felt as if it was a pretty unfair situation in the moment. It wasn't until later and they realized that it was a decision that they had made that had caused it in their emotions. And many of us are in that same reality in our own lives. And we need to know that because we're infected with sin, we have earned the wages of sin. The consequence of sin is death. And that word death, it's an eternal death. It's not just a physical death. Hebrews says that it's appointed man wants to die and then face the judgment. There's a time coming when we'll all experience what that looks like. And the only way to escape certain death that we have all earned because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all experienced the wages of sin. We know what that looks like now. We can see that in the word. The only way to walk away from that is to accept the other part of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Come on, God knew that's the direction that we were going, and he made every decision possible to rescue us from hell. What does that mean? It means that we have willingly, through our own sin, charted a direction, charted a course of direction toward a place called hell that we would spend eternity away from God. We decided that. And God saw the direction that we were going and tried and made every uh, decision possible to reconcile us from going that direction. See, God's not sending people to hell. He's doing everything possible to rescue people from hell. Many can't seem to wrap their minds around how God would allow eternal punishment. But when you get the gravity of your sin, it's hard to understand why he went through such great lengths to actually save us from it. Come on, what would it look like if you recognize there's a God in heaven who's not forcing you into an eternity apart from him? He's relentlessly chasing after you. The free gift of God is salvation. It's eternity through Christ Jesus, there's a way out. The Bible says that full joy, unbelievable joy is in his presence. Fullness of joy is in his presence. He simply wants a relationship with us. And there are consequences to the decisions we're making. And you need to know because he has literally made every greatest, the greatest decisions possible, the most difficult decisions a father could make, sending his only son to rescue us from our sins in Christ Jesus, that today, number four, we can be saved. We can be. We can experience salvation from certain death. Here's how he says it in Romans 10, 9 and 10. 
If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you were made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You see, there's not a God in heaven that's angry with you today. Jesus is not angry with you today. There's no question you could have ever asked him or frustration you could have ever addressed with him that would have ever upset him. God can't love you any more than he already does. And can I tell you, there's no decision that you would ever make in your life that would cause him to love you any less than he already does. The Bible says it this way in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, there's not a God in heaven sending people to hell. There's a God in heaven doing everything under his power and authority to rescue us from a place called hell. See, today I think we should take a long look in the mirror. Maybe today we could stop pointing the finger at what we think the issue is. And maybe if we take a good look in the mirror, we'll realize that change starts with me. There's a great story in John chapter 4 about a woman at a well. Jesus says, I have to go this way. And we know you can read the passage of Scripture yourself. Jesus went there specifically to meet with this woman. And he meets with the woman. And the first thing he says to her is, can I have a drink of water? She begins to question him. Why are you asking me for a drink of water? She realizes that he's Jewish and she's Samaritan and that's a racial divide and they didn't like each other. And all she could seem to do was point fingers. All she could seem to do was tell him about how much he's wrong and what he needs to change and how their people were right and his people were wrong and ask those questions. And it went really, if you read the the progression of the story, in her mind, Jesus took on three different personas. At first, he was just a Jewish person. He was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. How dare you? Who do you think you are? And then Jesus moves a little bit further into the discussion and he begins to teach her about her own life. He prophetically calls out her own sin that otherwise he would have never known about. He'd never met this woman. And he begins to talk about all of the different decisions that she's made in her life that dishonored God, that were sinful, that began to, that that erosion, that infection that's in us all that was eroding away in her soul. And she said something that probably all of us, some of us maybe have experienced at some point. You must have been a prophet. So he went from just a Jew she's pointing fingers to, to you must be a prophet. And then he begins to share the gospel, the good news of salvation with this woman. And then he goes from being a prophet to she begins to recognize you are the Messiah. Now he's her savior. And I love what happened. It went from her looking outward pointing the finger to everything else that needed to change and all of the injustices that had happened in her life. How could they say this and do this and act that way and treat us this way? And All of the things pointing out, pointing the finger, right? Pointing the finger. It went from that to taking a look in the mirror. And when she took a look in the mirror, she realized her sin for what it was. And she met a God that wasn't, that wasn't out to get her, wasn't out to, to harm her, but wanted to rescue her. And when she accepted the rescuing power of Jesus in her life, 
her entire sphere of influence changed. The Bible says in John 4 that she dropped her bucket where she was. She had come to get water. And she went to the town and she told every person in that town, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Surely this is the Messiah. And I love this story because when she began to experience authentic relationship with Jesus for herself, when revival began with her, it overflowed to her sphere of influence. The Bible says in that same chapter that The whole town came out to see Jesus and they began to experience what she had experienced. And it recorded it. The gospel recorded what they said to her. Why? Why? Because it's important. They said, I want you to know we came out here because of what you said. But we stayed and we're here because of what he did. I want you to know when you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to work inside of you, it begins with me. Come on, if I want to see my kids come to know Jesus, if I want my spouse come to know Jesus, if I want my work uh, environment to change, if I want to see God radically change people close to me in my life, it has to begin with me. I've got to stop pointing the finger and I've got to pull up the mirror. What does it look like for you right now to take a look in the mirror? Come on, what does your faith journey look like right now? Come on, what does it look like in your, in your marriage? How have, you, how have you shown the light of Jesus, the love of God in this season in your marriage? What about your relationship with your kids? What does your faith look like? What does your walk with God look like? If it's a long look in the mirror and you don't see much of Jesus, maybe today you can commit to make some changes. See, the Bible said he loved you so much that there's no sin you could have ever committed that the blood of Jesus can't take away. The Bible says that he loves us so much that when, when we come to him, he throws all of our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to bring it up again, completely redeemed. So though many of us, come on, I know there are people right now tuned in from all over who are destined, the, the, the course of our lives are destined to an eternity apart from God. And you need to make a decision right here and right now to trust Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And it's so simple. We just read it. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right where you are. If that's you, you can say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I confess that there's nothing good inside of me. I confess that my life has been eroded and infected with sin. I've made decisions on my own that have led me to where I am today. I'm through pointing the finger and I'm ready to pick up the mirror. Father, show me now anything in me that needs to change. And Father, I pray that you would be the one to take that change. You would be the one. Forgive me of my sins. Clean me. Clean my soul. Clean my spirit. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. And from this point forward, I confess to follow you as my Lord. I'm going to live a life on purpose that honors you. And Father, for my friends today, maybe they're believers right now. Maybe we've just been able to take a long look in the mirror. And maybe I've trusted him as my savior. Maybe we've trusted you. Maybe we've been followers. But if we were honest, there's been some times, there's been some things in our life that need to change. Father, I pray that you would show us what that looks like. 
that now in this moment, the power of the Holy Spirit would take, take control. God, that you would order our steps according to your word, that sin would not rule over our lives. Not so that we can say, look at us, but Father, so that we would not sin. Hide your word in our hearts, that we wouldn't sin against you. Let the Holy Spirit have all of the honor out of my life. Jesus, that people would look at me and see you. Father, I pray in this moment, as we take this long look in the mirror, God, that we reflect and we begin more and more to look like you, that you would get all the honor out of our lives in Jesus' name.